0: ahead and let our kids roll out to uh, their kids praise and while they're rolling out I want to apologize uh, publicly apologize so we used a new florist this year for our palms <laughs> and uh, so there I mean our palms have never been oh perfect thank you uh, our palms have never been large but these are about a third of the size they normally are so uh, so next year I'm I'm throwing it out there um, Uh, anyone, uh, can anyone help us? Uh, I'm thinking like, uh, I want the big ones. Like palms worthy of the majesty of Jesus Christ. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the two handers. Uh, I don't know, do you know anyone that's got some palms that we can get our hands around? Like knock your brother out. Like that's the kind of palm (laughs) that we need to have instead of, this is kind of like a little, uh, thanks your wife hooked me up here. I I, I need (laughs) <laughs> it did. <Okay. laughs> These. Oh, that one's better. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, oh, that's much better. Thank you, Charles. That's much better, actually. So, yeah, I apologize for our um, piddly little palms. Still, they're here. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, you can open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the final chapter. It's finally here. I know you're glad to be free of it. Um, so for about six or seven weeks, we've been in this uh, in this text of Ecclesiastes, little known text, uh, 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 writing about, about the church or writing about life, uh, uh, a, a teaching given from the master. We think maybe probably Solomon, but he just he he names himself the master teacher. He's the guy that's done everything, bought everything, experienced everything. There's nothing in life. He's kind of come to the end of all things. And he said, you know, I've seen it all. I've done it all. There, there's nothing that I haven't experienced or tried or attempted or learned. I, I've, I've been through everything. And here is what I have learned. And what is it? How does he begin? Everything is Meaningless. In fact, it's all meaningless. And, and that word, uh, uh, meaningless, havel, it, it just means um, vapor. It, it means that all life is temporary from your first breath to your last breath. This is the space we get, and this is all there is. So take advantage of it. The master teacher's goal is, um, as we have discovered, is uh, this writing, his writing, his teaching is unlike any other in Scripture. His goal is not to affirm what you already believe. His goal is to take that that solid, righteous, good ground that you stand on and turn it up and till it up. If he can't help you to see life from a completely different perspective, from a new way, he wouldn't be the master teacher. So the the things that you're secure in and firm in and, and sound in, he he's here to to mess that up and, and there's this reaction that we've had a few weeks coming out of this teaching, like, "Oh, I, I, that teaching messed me up. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I don't know if I, I don't know how I agree, I don't know." I, and, and that reaction is exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly what the master teacher is trying to get at, because it's only when, when things are turned upside down, when things are tilled up in us, that, that he can really begin to teach that our eyes would be open so t- to some new realities. We've talked about through Ecclesiastes, ha-olam, we've talked about this idea of eternity, that there's this, we are in this this temporary created place from our first breath to our last breath, but there is another realm, and God has planted ha-olam, he's planted eternity in our hearts, and we've talked about the seasons, and we sing turn, turn, turn. We've talked about the, the business of, of work and toil and envy. We've talked about true happiness and how foolish it is to pursue wisdom as the source of true happiness. Or, or intelligence or you know, even a, a, our own pride or work as, oh, that'll, that'll make me happy. Or wealth, that's the source of true happiness. No, no, no. We've dealt with the tension of scripture. We've seen that happiness is independent of our circumstances. Happiness is independent of what happens in this world. But happiness is truly a gift from God. And the teacher, the master teacher, has taken us to the school of death. A couple of weeks ago, this teaching's online. If you want to go listen to it, the teaching was about pushing up daisies, and we talked about taking your last ride with Clyde or or. Uh, uh, wearing a pine overcoat or pushing up daisies or, or croaking. We talked about death, and the teacher says, you know, it's really better to spend time at funerals than it is at parties because death has this, this profound way of shaping our reality, of making us see, helping us to see things differently and uh, to carpe diem, to seize the day. And God has given us in this space, from our first breath to our last, in this meaningless temporary space, God has given us the ability, even in this space, to enjoy our lot in light, despite our, our to enjoy our lot in life, despite circumstances. And last week we talked about of mice and men and uh, this this weird thing that happens in our world that sometimes the fastest doesn't win the race. Have you seen this? Sometimes the wise and learned and those who know better still lose their house, still go hungry, still end up homeless. Sometimes the plans, the greatest plans that you make, the plans of mice and men, sometimes they don't work out. And the teacher gives us this incredible warning about sacrificing this moment for some future moment that may or may not come. He gives us this warning about trying to control all of the outcomes in our life because in that event, we might miss the gift Of the moment. So, as we begin chapter 12, the final chapter, uh, it's not surprising that uh, the master teacher is going to talk about death one more time. Can you handle it? Are you ready? Let's read some together in chapter 12, the first seven verses. I'll just read it straight from the screen. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun, the moon, and the star, uh, and stars is dim to your old eyes, and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house, start to tremble. And before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants, stop grinding, and before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets. Before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper and the caperberry no longer inspire inspire sexual desire <laughs> remember him don't you wish you were teaching ecclesiastes <laughs> remember him before you near the grave there it is right your everlasting home when the mourners will weep at your funeral yes remember your creator now while you are young Before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken, don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and this pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes, the commentaries say, has the distinct smell of the grave about it. He begins in verse 1. We'll just walk through this, this teaching. Don't forget in your youth, your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say life isn't pleasant anymore. Have any of you said that in your old age? Life isn't pleasant anymore. Imagine, uh, uh, imagine uh, uh, what it was like in this ancient world. Today we have, we have healthcare and we have eyeglasses. So if your vision starts to change, you can put on glasses or corrective lenses. Imagine a world with no retirement. Imagine a world with no hearing aids. Imagine a world with no sleep apnea machines. Getting old was, is, and was incredibly difficult and he takes this picture of looking at at old age and he kind of says the closer you get to the grave the more difficult life is going to become and and he says he's not picking on anyone but he says this is the journey that we're all on it's coming for all of us he's inviting us on this journey to the grave and he says on the way to the grave The sun and moon and stars will dim. What he says is, he says, your eyes aren't going to work like they used to. They're no longer going to see clearly. And then he goes on and talks about the different parts of your body and and the changes that you go through as you get older. He says, your legs, the confident guards of your house, you may not be so confident in anymore. Have any of you experienced this? They will cease to function, and, and you, legs, you, you used to never worry about tripping or falling, but now this has become a new concern. You may trip and fall. They become unreliable, and your shoulders, once proud, full, and thick, what happens to them? They begin to droop and sag, or maybe have bad posture like I have. Your teeth... <laughs> Once bright and strong will no longer grind, but they'll fall out. Right? I'm just telling you this scripture. And your ability to work, your ability to provide for yourself will disappear. Suddenly doors that were once wide open will begin to close. And no longer will you hop straight out of bed with energy and vigor you may no longer even hear the chirping bird or the alarm clock. You will have new fears, fears of tripping. A fall could bring uh, new consequences. Where once your your body, if you were injured or hurt, where once your body would heal quickly, now it doesn't seem to bounce back as quickly. You will fear danger in the streets. As you grow older, as you approach this grave, there'll be all kinds of new dangers where once you could could quickly move out of the way or avoid danger or defend yourself against it. Now you no longer have the same ability or strength. You will be like the almond tree, the caperberry, and the dying grasshopper. All right, so he uses three images here. And I'm going to try to do this as delicately as possible. So go ahead and put that next slide up there. Um, (laughs) The almond tree, the caperberry, and the dying grasshopper. Uh, That's a grove of almond trees up there on your left. Uh, and what he says is, essentially, if you're lucky enough to still have some hair, some of us aren't that lucky, um, it will change color or more aptly lose its color, like the almond tree in bloom. And then he uses two uh, other interesting um, examples. The caperberry is kind of long known as the caperberry would have been similar to uh, a blue pill. Um, uh, It's belief in uh, inspiring some sort of sexual desire in us. And then the dying grasshopper. um, Oh, Lord, I'm going to get fired. Um, How can I put this as gently as possible? Uh, The dying grasshopper is along the same lines as the little blue pill. Uh, The dying grasshopper is thought by some to be a euphemism for a part of the male anatomy. Okay? There I said it. This is scripture. It's right here in black and white. You can look at it for yourself. Do you get the picture? And I know it seems kind of gloomy, and, 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 uh, but this is what the master teacher who's experienced all of life, he said, whether you like it or not, this is coming for you. Don't ask for whom the bell tolls. You know this famous poem. Oh, it's, It tolls for you. Before the silver cord of your life snaps, before the golden bowl of your life is broken, before the water jar is smashed, that's an image of the head and your mind and your your ability to think and reason, before the pulley to the spring of life is broken, before you return to the dust from which you came, before your spirit returns to the one who gave it. And this picture of of death and dying and death approaching, aging, aging coming to the end of this meaningless life, coming to the end of a temporary life, the teacher offers two words that he repeats again and again and again and again throughout this, what can only be described as a death poem. In chapter five, or chapter 12, verse 5, the second half of that verse, he says, remember him. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home when the mourners will weep at your funeral. And in verse six, he says it again. He says, yes, remember your creator now while you are young. He says, while you still can, remember the one who gave you this meaningless, temporary life. While you still can, remember your creator. Uh, it is... Um, not just a a creator in, in a big sense, but the one who created all things, the one who brought all things into being, the one who started this whole thing, the one who is uncreated and yet created all of us. Remember the one who gave you life. Remember the one who created you out of nothing. Remember him because this life that you have with all of its ups and downs, this life is a gift. Remember the one who gave it to you. Let's keep going. Let's just finish this chapter. Verses eight through 13. Here he goes again, bookend statements. That's how he begins and how he ends. He says, everything is, what's the word? It's vapor, it's temporary. Everything from your first to last breath, says the teacher, completely meaningless. It's completely temporary. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise. He taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs. He, he studied and classified them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express these truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives a sheep. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. All right, this is it. This is it. This is the whole thing. Here now is my final conclusion. His final conclusion after looking at all life is this, fear God and obey his commands. This is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret secret thing, whether good or bad. He ends as he begins. It's a bookend statement. Everything in life is temporary. Everything in this space of time is temporary. And he says in verses 9 and 10, he says, this is the best the teacher has to offer. These are his deepest thoughts, his most profound wisdom. And uh, um, he, he says sometimes in verse 11, sometimes these words have been painful to hear. He describes them as like a nail-studded stick. He says, I know this teaching stings. I get it. Like, it's painful it's, it's painful. But but the sting isn't meant to be be kind of a punishment. It it, it is meant to be a a, pain is not the intent. Motivation is the intent, right? So get on with living. In verse 12, he says, Further advice, don't spend much time writing about or studying these words. The real benefit isn't in the study of these words, but in their application. From the teacher's perspective, this is the book to end all books. He says, uh, even the commentators kind of talk about, he's kind of making a crack at commentators. He's like, why are you writing books about this book? Just read it and then get out there and do it. Stop wasting time dissecting and, and studying. Just get out there and do it. And then in verse 13, he says the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Here it is, the grand finale. It all boils down to this. Fear and obedience. And, and I know that word fear kind of strikes us, strikes us funny. I, I, would, I would prefer maybe, maybe offer Adam's own translation. I would say, revere God. And trust his commands. He says, You want to know what real life is, the the fullest life you can have. Revere God and trust his commands, trust his teachings. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing. I, I know that's like our tendency to read that last verse is like. He's gonna judge us for every secret thing. Our tendency is to kind of get get pent up and oh he's talking about my sins and my secret sins and 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 maybe I think that, I, I think that's partially true, but but it misses the whole context to to see it as like, oh, he's he's getting on to me for my secret stuff and I've gotta live better. Like it, it misses the context. What is the context of this whole book? What's the context of the whole thing? The context is everything is meaningless. The context is Life is momentary, fleeting, vapor, temporary. And when people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. It's it's wonderful to be young and enjoy every minute of it. So the context of this verse, even though it's like God's gonna judge us for every secret thing we do, the context is enjoy life, to see life as a gift. So how do we reconcile those two things? It's it's almost like um, um, if I just went, Totally out of control and, and misused church funds, and, and I, bought, um, I bought you your dream car. Well, I can't buy it for everyone. Our church funds aren't that bad, but maybe I could buy. All right, so I'll buy Megan her dream car. Were you 16 yet? Almost. Even better. <laughs> so I'm going to buy Megan her dream car. The, the car, psh, pick out anything you want. I'm going to buy her her dream car, and it's going to be delivered on a truck, brand new, zero miles on it, right? And we're going to unload it off the truck and help her push it in the garage, and then we're going to get like those theater rope things, and we're going to polish it and wax it and shine it all up, and then we're going to put those theater ropes around it, and then we're going to send out invitations, and we're going to invite the whole neighborhood, everyone to come and look at the car. And we're going to spend all day just staring at, whew, that's a beautiful car. That is an awesome, awesome car. And then at the end of the day, we're going to shut the garage on the car and leave it. What's wrong with that picture? It's obvious. What the heck are you doing? Get out there and drive drive that sucker, right? If you had your dream car, wouldn't you drive the wheels off of it? I know I know there's a part of the like this car collecting world that like cars are art pieces to be collected and should never be sat in or touched like I think that's ridiculous. Right? Enjoy it. And I think that's the point that that I maybe I'm trying to make here. It- Isn't that when God has given us this incredible gift, this gift of life, it's, it's temporary and precious? Are you taking advantage of it? Are you enjoying every second of it? Are, are you living the kind of quality life that, that we have get, been given access to, the kind of life that can only come from, he says, this, this kind of life, can only come from revering God and trusting his commands. You know where life comes from? Man, give your life to God. Trust his commands. Our world tends to believe that, you know, we look at that verse and, and, and our world tends to believe that fearing God and obedience to God is just kind of like, you know, it's just, it's like hanging up the keys. You know? I hate that that's the the perception from our culture is like the church people have given up on living. They've given up on fun. They've given up on enjoyment. You know, they've they've just put the keys of life on a hook and, and they're not enjoying it. But the teacher says that, no, revering God and trusting his commands is like turning on the ignition to life. It's experiencing the fullness of it. And God's judgment, even at the end, he's talking about death and, and God will judge us for every secret thing. His judgment here is not used as a corrective, but his judgment is used as an incentive. Do you see that? God has given you this gift. He's not going to just judge you for the things you didn't do, but for the way that you lived. For the way you enjoyed it and shared it, the love and compassion of Christ, the way it poured out of you, it's not a corrective. It's an incentive. And the truth about God's law is that it's good. Do you believe that? It says obey his commands, trust his commands. Do we believe that, that his commands are good? I love the, the story. I think I shared it with you before the story of, of the kids that came to school and it was around Valentine's Day and they were supposed to write a poem about what they love and one of the, the little boys who came to school, the teacher was reading through the papers and the boy says, I love Torah. Now you know what's important in that kid's life, right? You know, you, you know from that one statement, you know what's been important to him. You know what's been trained into him, right? What about you? Do you love God's commands or are they just this that's that's totally about correction and keeping you from sinning? Or do you see them really as as life-giving? I think his commands, I think his teachings, look carefully at the life of Jesus. It's not ever intended to be repressive, but life-giving. Think about it. Have you communicated to your, your friends and neighbors? Like, what's your attitude when you talk about church to your friends and neighbors? Like, well, oh, we gotta go to church again on Sunday. Or has it become this life-giving place? Have you taught your, look, read the Psalms again. How do the Psalms talk about God's commands and his laws? Oh. Psalms talk about them as things to be savored sweet, and beautiful, and good, following God's law, revering him, the master teacher says, that is the path to truly enjoying life. So all of Ecclesiastes, as we sum up, in just a moment, we'll, uh, we're going to have a time of communion. It's an important part of our tradition to, to recognize the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, it's such a profound moment. We have tables set up around the room with the elements of communion. We invite you to come to those tables. And when you come to them, we invite you to bring your stuff and lay it down. Lay your stuff down at the foot of the cross. We think that's important. Allow these moments to shape you. We're going to give you some, some reflective time, some time for you to, to process to pray, to, to open up. Maybe today's teachings open some stuff up in you and we want, we want you to have that opportunity. If there's ways I'm going to pray for you or serve you, we're, we're creating a space for that to come in just a moment. But as we wrap up all of, uh, all of Ecclesiastes, the whole master's teaching in Ecclesiastes may, may well be summed up with the, the story A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Do you guys remember this story? I know it's not Christmas, so it's kind of a weird time for us to talk about. But all of Ecclesiastes can kind of be summed up into this story of Ebenezer Scrooge. You remember the guy? I always see like the DuckTales Disney version. I don't know why. I never see the... So I see Scrooge McDuck is who I think of. I don't know why that's in my head. But the story of of Ebenezer Scrooge. Are you guys familiar with this? So Ebenezer is this miserly old guy and he's, you know, he's behind his table counting his money and um uh who's the guy that works for him, Cratchit or whatever, I don't know. It was Mickey Mouse in my version. I don't know. Um you know, and there's Tiny Tim and all this and it's, you know, but but Scrooge has no time for anyone or anything and and it's just about counting his wealth and a commute uh acquiring things for himself, and then what happens? Remember the story? He's visited by three ghosts, past, present, and future. And he kind of goes back and looks back over the course of his life and, and past and present show him what's valuable and how in the moment he's been missing these things. And past and present are nice, but the one that really changes things for Scrooge, which one is it? Future. And the future ghost is the grim reaper ghost, right? And takes Scrooge, the miserly Scrooge, right to the grave, right? He stands at the grave. The grave becomes the teacher. Have you heard this before? He takes him to the grave. He sees his own tombstone. And who's there to mourn his death? No one. And it's at that moment, right? It's that, that moment that Scrooge's converse, con- conversion happens. When he faces that life is meaningless, that life is temporary, that this is my lot in life, that, that this is all I get, and I'm blowing it. When he recognizes that I am going to die and this terrifying prospect of, of a lonely and loveless death becomes both his undoing and his reconstitution, Right? Because he wakes up that next morning with a whole new awareness of what's important. Right? Of what's really meaningful. And it changes his whole demeanor, his whole way of living. Now he, he, he values different things. He values generosity and kindness. And above all, relationships with others. Don't you see in Ecclesiastes this, this picture of judgment, that's this future judgment, this, this picture of a future death that's kind of coming for all of us are meant to draw us and remind us, to instruct us to live life to the fullest, to seize the day, this day, this moment. I know it's, I know it's filled with good and bad but these moments are gifts from God to be celebrated and enjoyed. Death and judgment and Ecclesiastes should spur us on to the good life. That's the life that God will hold us accountable for. Our business is to enjoy what he has given us. That's a truth we're going to see next week as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I came so that you may have life and life to the full. Let's pray together. Father God, as we enter into this time of communion, we remember your son Jesus. God, I'm... On this day, years and years and years ago, your, your son took a very intentional path, a, a path that had been planned out before him, a, pl- a path that, that demonstrates your incredible compassion and love for us. But Father God, as he entered Jerusalem, man, he did it for us. And, and not just us, not just those of us here in a church or those of us that have given our lives to be followers of Him. But Father God, your Son entered on this path of pain and suffering for all of us. There's not a soul on this earth that He did not choose willingly to go in this direction for. And so, Father, help us today to realize the incredible gift that we have in your Son, Jesus, the gift we have in life, the life that we've been given because of your Son, Jesus Christ, a life that's not made up of just because our our heart is beating and we have a pulse. But, Father God, if we have life here, it is because of your Son, Jesus. The fullness of life has come through his blood, through his sacrifice for all of us. Father God, you even offer the promise of an everlasting life, a life that is not meaningless, a life that goes beyond this temporary space, a life that continues far beyond our last breath. So God, as we enter into this time of communion, we remember and celebrate your son Father God as we enter as we as we approach these tables let us leave before you let us lay at your feet this old kind of dead life that we've been hanging on to and embrace something new all of these pursuits of temporary things and temporary pleasures father god let us again embrace your teachings let us again revere you and come to worship you as the source of life the source of hope and forgiveness and grace and future and Father God, in all the ways that we're holding on to some other stuff, let us lay that down and restore us, revive us, renew us. Let us be compelled to live and act, not because of some sort of impending doom clinging timidly to our sins, but let us embrace, even now, even today, the forgiveness that your Son brings. Father God, that's the kind of lives that change things. Man, it, change, it would change our world. It would change frankly. Father God, let us embrace it and embrace you today. We love you, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says.